0: And welcome to the Men Up podcast. I'm Christian Shabu. Will Van Dyke. And with us today, we have a very special guest. He is a venture manager with Collab, which is a business accelerator based in New Haven. He's also an aspiring chaplain. He's also the co-founder of Men Up. Please, everybody, welcome George Black. George, it is great to have you with us. Great to be here, man. It's good to see y'all. So George, I want to start first by just asking you, Co-founder to co-founder, why did you want to start Men Up all those years ago? It's about six years ago. What was it for you that was really motivating you then?
1: I think back then I'd have kept this. I'd have kept this general, but uh, I think what 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 really happened was so growing up, I feel like I had always been the kind of person who uh, didn't fit into general norms or conventions around masculinity. I was a, a more gentle boy, was softer, you know, uh, more soft-spoken, um, you know, growing up, uh, being myself always seemed like it was, it was a problem, right? Um, a lot of people in my family would say, oh, he's gonna be gay, as if being gay was a problem or bad or uh, negative. Uh, they would say it to me kind of like a curse, you know? Uh, and it was because I would embody some of these uh, seemingly feminine traits, right? I was nurturing, caring, loved working with and caring for kids, even at a young age. I remember uh, there are cookouts and family gatherings, uh, especially ones at my, my grandmother's house, who, who my grandmother raised me. Uh, everybody would just be like, all the, ki- all the little kids go to George. George will take care of you right? And, uh, you know, I'm like 10, 11, 12, 13, like, and all the little kids would be my responsibility, right? Uh, So always been like a a carer, a nurturer. I always began to think about what it means for me to be a man, but also what it means to be who I am. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and that kind of manifested, man. Um, I was, I was married a couple, uh, maybe six years ago. Um, And, uh, it was a powerful experience, a deep learning experience. Um, it, the marriage did not last long. Um, and I think part of why it didn't last long is because I realized when I was in the marriage, uh, the pressure that was on me to fulfill a particular kind of role, a particular kind of masculinity, uh, that was not me. You know, part of that pressure was, do you I want to be the leader of your household? You know, do you want to be the person who runs all of this, uh, is, the, is the head, is the the provider and the protector. And I'm like, I want to provide, but I want to be provided for too. Uh, I want to, I want to protect, but I also want to be protected. You know, Um, I want to be, I want to be prayed for, but I also, I want, I want to pray for you, but I also want to be prayed for, you know? And so um, the ways that wanting things, wanting to be cared for bumped up against conventional norms around masculinity was too much for the marriage it disintegrated (laughs) uh and um and it was after that that me and Shabu started having conversations around manhood and masculinity I mean you know Christian was such a huge part of helping me process some of the stuff I was going through around that time um so deeply grateful for his friendship and um but around that time man uh we were talking about what it meant to to think through some of that together and to and to be the best that we could be, um, but not necessarily fall into the conventions. And that started when me, him, and a good friend of ours, uh, Frank Brady, uh, started getting together, singing songs, but also talking about manhood and masculinity. We used to call ourselves the man band. Uh, shout out to the man band. Shout out to the man band, man. Shout out to the man band. And, uh, and so... In those conversations, um, me, Christian, and Frank, and, and eventually me and Christian really started digging deep and, and and talking to ourselves about what we wanted in this traditional masculinity sphere, but also what was unhelpful and also what was dangerous and what was destructive, right? Um, and at some point, man, I recognized there are a lot of boys in the world <laughs> who are walking around feeling like they have to fit a box. Um and 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 they're walking around like zombies because they either don't want to or can't fit that box. And uh, I just want those boys to love themselves and to be able to know that it's okay that you don't fit that box. So that box is not the only way to be, uh, that you can be worthy of love and belonging, which is really what what we're saying when we're, when men are talking about being masculine, what we're really saying is, We we want to be worthy of love and belonging.
0: When men or people in general say masculine, or they identify that, what they're really talking about is being worthy of love and belonging. What do you mean by that? Because that's not what I think folks would say as a response to like, oh, this is what this person means by masculine. Or that's not a traditional way of thinking about like what we mean by masculinity.
1: I think that patriarchy uh is a system a structure i would call it an idol whatever language you want to use and 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 it sets up particular criteria right the thing that makes an idol an idol is that it it makes particular claims on our worthiness right and patriarchy says you are worthy of love and belonging to the degree that you meet this criteria right um and for men that criteria is what is often dubbed masculinity right uh tough solo Uh, in control, always the leader, always having the answers, um, strong, physically big, taking up space, right? These things that are markers of masculinity. Um, And so this system, which we're consistently inundated with pictures and images all the time, right, is telling boys and telling men, this is what you have to be. And so we get we buy into the lie that in order to be worthy of love and belonging I have to fit this criteria right and the system is everywhere and it's all the time Um, and so bumping up against it deconstructing it dismantling it whatever language you want to use is consistent and tiring work right and and often and so and so often we we fall into well you know I'll try to be a instead of just dismantling this i'll try to be a benevolent benevolently masculine you know i'll try to be a benevolent patriarch you know uh i'll try to be a good person while still kind of fulfilling these roles we live it out in horrible ways uh in ways that yes harm women and yes harm people who don't identify as men for sure absolutely but also uh deeply limit us as men we we it, it, it limits our emotional capacity and limits our ability to have and maintain lasting and powerful friendships and relationships and limits uh, our ability to, to dream and to take risks all because we're afraid that somebody will point at us and say, you don't, re- you don't meet the standard.
2: What did you find most effective about processing your own sort of introspection and then uh, engaging with youth and other men and those sort of things that that led to you know your again the creation of men up but really just like why was that so effective in your own journey of you know sort of discovering yourself
1: i think what was true about you know yes my marriage but also just like my life in general leading up to that right and the ways that i had decided. To, to buy into the lie of patriarchy that said I had to reach, I meet this standard, um, is that I was actually really, really far from myself, right? That there was a me that I actually was, this like kind, soft, gentle being, nurturing, these things that uh, uh, this this person that wanted to co-create and cohabitate and co-build and, and not necessarily be the leader, not necessarily be the person in front. Um, and that's, that's who I was. That's who I am. Right. And there was also this person who I was trying to be, who I was trying very, very, very hard to be, despite the fact that who I was, was screaming, was, was saying, this is not who you are. Be, be, be you, be me. Don't be, don't be what they tell you to be. And, uh, and so the introspection helped me recognize more deeply who this person, who the real me was. Part of this, this process was this book that I read uh, by Bell Hooks. Um, shout out to Black women because they just, all the stuff that I'm reading recently are by Black women. And uh, Bell Hooks is a Black feminist writer who was the first writer to ever write about f- the ways that feminist uh, the way that um, that patriarchy harms men. So she wrote a book called the will to change. It is a book I read at least once a year, um, now, and it it is focused on what it means for men and, and really for people to recognize that, that patriarchy obviously causes harm to, to women and people who don't identify as men, but also deeply limit men, right. And harms us and harms our capacity to like live fulfilled lives, um, and that is true for um, straight men, gay men, queer men, cisgendered men. Like it, 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 all all men are 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 subjected to and and suffering from this thing called patriarchy. In reading that book, a couple of realizations hit me. Right, and I think the first was. Oh, like I, I've experienced this limiting, like this thing that that she's noting as this 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 limitation that this the system puts on me. Two, if this thing is harming me in the way that it's harmed me, it damn sure is harming women. Right? It's it, right. Like, uh, it damn sure is harming folks who don't identify as man men. Right? And so, um, I, I, I actually, it's interesting. I actually. Uh, it's funny to say this, but I, I, I became, I was, I was anti patriarchal before I was anti-racist. In fact, it was becoming, it was becoming anti-patriarchal that opened up my mind to the idea of systems and structures that led me to being anti-racist, right? Um, it was recognizing the way that the systems that I had invested in because I thought they benefited me, uh, are actually deeply damaging to me, um, that I recognized that there are other systems in the world that are also damaging folks, right? And so, which is interesting because patriarchy in many ways benefits me, right? Whereas racism sure. does not. <laughs> uh, so it's an interesting, it an interesting thing that happened there, but uh, the realization of the damaging effects of patriarchy is what opened my eyes to the overarching reality of oppressive systems and structures. But then also that there are young boys who are, you know, 15 years younger than me, who are, who are currently being indoctrinated into this lie. And that I, I can play a role in making sure they don't live lives guided by the lie. Right. Um, That, 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 you know, I still have a ton of unpacking to do because I'm like 20 something, I was 20 something at the time. Right. But like these boys are 15, 14, 13, and I can hit them now with, the truth that they are fundamentally worthy of love and belonging uh and that meeting patriarchy's criteria is not a prerequisite for love
0: you're talking about working with younger people right you're also somebody who's very much uh, a strong member of the community in new haven you also are in spheres like within your faith like you're deeply connected to your faith and to your practice in religion right what are some of the things you say and do to support people in in not being Stifled by those ideas of masculinity by the system and structure,
1: yeah. (laughs) I tell everyone to read Brene Brown. Um, so
0: this is why you, this is why you and Drew just hit it off because you both just talked about Brene Brown the whole time,
1: all the time. Just like, but yes, yes, Brene Brown is she's an OG, although uh, I think she's been overshadowed in my heart by Sonia Renee Taylor, but we can get that. In a second, you mentioned faith, right? And I think that m- my personal interpretation of my faith has has been the primary driver of my. At one point, it was the driver of my compliance with patriarchy. Now I think it is the driver of my uh, my consistent divesting from patriarchy. So I'm a practicing Christian, and in the Christian faith, uh, the 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 scriptures begin with a story of creation. Um, and chapter two of that story uh, ends with the verse, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed, right? Uh, and so Brene Brown, shout out to Brene Brown, defines shame as this intense feeling of not being worthy of love and belonging because of something we did or something that was done to us. And so if that is shame, then when the scripture say we were unashamed, what it's trying to communicate is that from the very beginning, at the start, right? Whatever creation was, right? Uh, whatever our start was, at the start, we believed that we were worthy of love and belonging and connection. We believed that deeply, right? Um, we believed that about our, between ourselves from God or spirit. Uh, and we believed that um, we were worthy within ourselves. And then chapter three happens, and I guess it's a snake and a serpent or whatever it is, right? And it's like, <laughs> and, it's, and it goes up to the woman and says, "You got to eat this apple, you got to eat this fruit, right?" And the woman's like, "Nah, I'm good." And the the serpent does a little more convincing, and and the woman uh, eats the fruit. But before the woman eats the fruit, the scriptures say. Uh, And the woman looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasing to the eyes and that it was good for food and that it was desirable to make one wise. In other words, it was like, if I eat this, I will be better than I currently am. I need this to be what I want to be. And I think that's the lie, right? The serpent, the, the thing in the garden that lied to Eve told her she needed something outside of herself in order to be worthy. And she believed that lie. And I think we've been believing that lie ever since. And and maybe the fruit is our bank account. Maybe it is how many sex partners we can have. Maybe it's the size we take up or the, the amount of leadership we carry in spaces, or maybe it's having a nuclear family. Maybe it's whatever that fruit is, we are all trying to find something that if we if we embody it if we consume it if we if we have it will make us worthy of love and belonging and i think that most and i think systems and structures know that know that that's part of our nature <laughs> and so and so they they create criteria capitalism says that being worthy of love and belonging looks like a bank account that has this many zeros you know uh, uh, white supremacy says being worthy of love and belonging means being proximate to whiteness in these ways, right? Uh, Empire says that if you if you don't have this much power, or this much authority, or this much control, you're not worthy of love and belonging, right? Like all of the systems and the structures of the world set up criteria and tell us that that's how we are worthy of love and belonging in my faith circles, I, I spit that message, right? Like the scriptures are telling us that we are actually fundamentally worthy from the onset. Like chapter two of the first book in the Bible says you are good right now. That's 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 actually what's happening, right? And when I'm talking to folks who don't necessarily vibe with faith, I just tell them that you're actually good right now. One way that I tried to, I tried to spin this message is I, I try to not use masculine prayer lines when talking about God. <laughs> and so.
0: Well, how does that hit people though? Within your faith, right? The, even that oh, subtle shift. I'm,
1: I'm, I've made a few people upset. <laughs> <laughs> I've made a few people upset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, patriarchy says that God is male, right? I mean, what system of structure, and in and, and, and many ways, right? Like systems and structures just put definitions on the ultimate that's what they're doing right and so patriarchy says god is male in the same in the same way that empire says god is primarily powerful right um that that god is primarily a source of authority right uh and if we want to be like god we got to be male we got to have authority right capitalism says god is primarily abundantly rich and so in order to be like God, we got to be abundantly rich, right? And so, uh, but yeah, it made people upset <laughs> um, because of the ways that they were invested. Um, and and sometimes it it's still hard for me because somewhere inside, I still think God is a guy. And I know that's wrong in my head, but somewhere in my heart, I think, I still think it's true because I believed it and acted on it for so long.
2: George, how much in, in terms of, Uh, both your faith and sort of the, you know, the, I guess, uh, again, the more traditional feelings on society's, you know, version of masculinity and such are rooted in the fact that people need consistency in their definitions of things, because, you know, I I think that that sometimes people get hung up on just the, the the sort of black and whiteness of definitions and that's, where they root their comfort level. And if you break that apart and you make it all shades of all colors, it becomes harder for them to to understand.
1: It's some of the reasons why pushing up against this stuff is hard is because people have an an innate need to have their their, their definitions be kind of like consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that's true. And I would say that that was a thing that was necessary for us to get to where we are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? That like the consistency of definitions was in many ways a thing that we needed. It was a tool that served us for a long, 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 long time, mm-hmm. and I think we're just bumping up against the reality that like that tool no longer serves us, right? Um, not that it, not that it's bad. Yeah. It 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 called, it helped us survive and thrive for a really long while. Well, you know it helped us survive for a long time. It helped us thrive for a long time, for a good amount of time. And now I would argue that it is currently in a place where it's causing a good amount of harm. Um, And that's just because things that once served us stopped serving us. And we're experiencing that on a large scale right now. right? And so so I, I do think that that's true. Uh, or rather that has been true, I think on some level, we still think it needs to be true. Um, But I think we're seeing examples of people who have decided that it's not and who are living like thriving lives, right? Um, uh, There was a quote I read um, and I read it in The Body Is Not An Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, read that book, it'll change you. Um, And uh, I cannot remember who quoted it, um, but I, I do remember that the person said uh, that the concept of being queer is less about, uh, or rather, is about uh, um, not falling into the boundary of of that sexuality that has been set up around sexuality and gender and gender expression, but also that to be queer is to decide that that the standards of the world are are not the only standards that things are much more fluid than and that uh th- th- there probably should be a querying of of our of our masculinity, right? And a querying of our theology and a querying of our philosophy and a querying of our education, right? There should be ways that we decide that uh that these boundaries that we've that we set up, they served us for a time. And that was great. And and we should be thankful for them. But it's time for them to go because there's something new happening.
2: You mentioned your grandmother was the one who hosted the barbecues and those sort of things and building community around um, that sort of thing and, and, and defining some element of masculinity was, you know, or, or femininity is rooted in that community aspect of things. Is there a similarity there between, you know, who's leading the community gatherings and those sort of things? you know christianity and at least in, in in my mind has always been a sort of male led community gathering setting whereas the community barbecues and those sort of things a lot of times are not male led they're not the, but you know uh they're, oh, yeah. they're more female i so those are the types of things where I, i'm fascinated your take on it
1: yeah man i I'll, I'll say uh christianity was dope until, until Constantine. (laughs) And so (laughs) at the, at the point where we got in bed with empire, man, we screwed, we screwed it up. And I think most of what people know about Christianity has little to do with the first 300 years or so, uh, where, where Mary was just as was almost as highly revered as Jesus, you know? And so, um, but, but yes. And so, yeah, faith often has, uh, it's often a patriarchal space, but I but I but I do think that it that is because it it birthed itself in a particular context. And then I mean, and I think earlier on it was like, yes, and women have the right to preach and the right to lead and are prophets. And like the 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 early church was a very egalitarian space, um, or much more egalitarian than the culture it was in. I'll say that. It def- there are definitely ways where it still held on the patriarchy. At the point where it is synonymous with empire, then it's synonymous with hierarchy. It's synonymous with structure. It's synonymous with these things that we with order, right? That's that's what that's what empire does. It, it, it implants structure and hierarchy and order on things. And now, uh, there has to be a head. There has to be a leader. There has to be a king. There has to be a ruler. There has to be a, a, a the one, right? Uh, and so, and so we have the the priest, right? As opposed to like. A group of twelve, a group of twelve equally powerful apostles, right? We have like one priest, one pope, right? Uh, instead of like hundreds of deacons, we have right, and so it's like the the, the centralizing of power is to me a fu- like that 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 patriarchal leadership that we see in faith is a function of empire, which is wild because my grandmother is the, patri- is the patriarch, matriarch of my family, you know, like who, who runs things, who makes all of the decisions, right? 20 years ago, it was, it was a group of women, like, quite frankly, the men in my family weren't great. <laughs> and uh, that had a lot to do with the fact that patriarchy deeply limited their capacity to be beneficial to anyone, even themselves. And so, I didn't have the language for that back then. I just thought they they wasn't shit. <laughs> so, you know, um, but the women ran things, and and in many ways that that has a lot. I guess I'll just say this: I feel like in different in different circles and structures, uh, th- there there's different modes of leadership right but even i know in my family the reason why the women were such were such powerful leaders at least what they would say is because there were no men to do so right uh not because but they were just
0: they were just filling a void
1: in a void right so even their interpretation of their own leadership was we're doing this because the men won't and if the men would then we wouldn't have to do this right um and so even that was deeply shaped by my patriarchal norms, right? It was, it was yes, leadership, but also coupled with this underlying bitterness that this expectation around men wasn't being met, right? As, and imagine if there could have been a kind of joy, right? Around these women who were the leaders and who were leading so powerfully, right? And then that, that was detached from, that that did not include a kind of bitterness that eventually shorten the lives of these women.
0: You've talked a lot about your, your work uh, within your, your faith-based communities. Uh, I'm interested, like, how do ideas of manhood and masculinity show up uh, in other areas, specifically in your professional life, right? Like we mentioned at the top here that you are a manager at Collab, which is an accelerator of you know, startup businesses, so I'm interested, like, how do those ideas show up in your professional life there or or, and or what are some ways that you feel like you're pushing in that sphere of your work and of your life?
1: Yeah, so there's a few ways. One, uh, my organization is co-founded by two women, um, Caroline Smith and Margaret Lee. Shout out to Caroline and Margaret because they're dope and, um, and their leadership is just exactly the kind of leadership that I resonate with, right? Uh, Christian knows this. He was my boss at one point, but like I don't, I don't, I, <laughs> I need a gentle hand <laughs> and and a good amount of affirmation, um, and and then a little bit of freedom to kind of experiment and come back and gripe about it. And so, um, yeah, Carolina Margaret. Are women who who created and are leading this organization and are doing it so powerfully, uh, but who also are great supervisors. Uh, so I am under their leadership, and that I think feels powerful in part because they do it well, but also because they're women and I'm a man, and I'm not. I, I can't ignore that. Um, and so that's a that's 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 just that just continues to be a beautiful thing. Um, I think also it shows up in, so collab, uh, uh initially was going to hire, uh, two venture managers, one venture manager, and then realized the job was too big. And so they hired, uh, um, two of us and they hired one guy for his business savvy and do BC OKK shout out to my other venture manager. He, uh, he, he is the one with the masters in business from Yale and, uh, the business savvy. Um, and I'm learning, but I was not hired for my business savvy. I was hired because uh, I like nurturing people <laughs> and I like creating spaces where people feel cared for. And so um, we run cohorts every every three cohorts a year. And so it groups of between eight and ten people come together, eight and ten ventures come together, and they have one-on-one sessions with me and NDBC. And they get business savvy and like deep care, right? Uh, And and Indu gives them the business savvy and I give them the deep care. And then Indu gives them the deep care and I give them a little bit of business savvy. And it's it's this space where these two black men uh, are redefining what it means to walk people through building a business, right? Um, Not centered on how much money you're making, not centered on hierarchy and authority but centered on like, what's good for you and your soul and what's good for the world and how can we manifest that via this thing called business.
0: But what did that mean then for New Haven, for a community that you love dearly, right? Doing this work where young business owners are coming to y'all, they're getting that kind of investment, that care from you, from IndeBC. What does that mean for your community?
1: You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to work for Collab is because of its focus on New Haven. I mean, we definitely are... Connecticut centric, but like, but we're based here in New Haven. Serve a lot of folks from New Haven, um, and you know, I've only been working there for a year. So, but what I, I think, I, my my hope, my hope is that the people who get to be cared but for by me and Indubisi for twelve weeks, right, uh, then get to go into the world and and function in their business in a way that that produces just a little more love. A little more uh, safety, a little, uh, a, a little more space for thriving. Collab is also a space that that wants to promote things like worthiness and an abundance mindset and justice work, right? Um, which to me has so much to do with healing. Healing, I think, being uh, a traditionally feminine thing, right? <laughs> uh, um, I play a lot of video games and so the healer is always a woman and I'm just like okay that's great uh, yeah just like what does it mean to to focus left, less on move fast break shit what does it mean to like advance the corporate ladder and 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 instead say what if in the midst of business we also talked about self-care and self-awareness and what it means to be fundamentally worthy And to not have a scarcity mindset, but instead have an abundance mindset, Um, which again, right, uh, I think leans in a way that doesn't necessarily align itself with masculinity in the ways that we know it.
0: When we were starting Men Up early on, we did some podcast episodes together and we like co-hosted and it was great. But I got to say, man, you're an incredible guest. So thank you. Uh, It's just really incredible to have you on obviously as a co-founder of men up as a friend but also somebody who's doing incredible work in the new haven community but also the broader community
1: i'm just uh trying my best out here man uh we were saying early i'm just i'm just a a black man trying to be great in a world that doesn't want me to be great
0: Mm, that's what we're gonna end on that's the mic drop (laughs) the men up podcast is a grin and bear production The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on The Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.